Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. From Tsunami Sushi in downtown Lafayette, we're Out to Lunch with Christian Maida, editor and publisher of The Current. It's business Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. Ask any business owner in a small town, what's the secret to success? And they'll tell you relationships. When everyone knows you, where you go to church, and whether your mom can make a roux, you're trading on a reputation bigger than your own. Relationships drive business development, and they can define success. And that's true if you're selling barbecue sauce or underwriting commercial loans. Your word and your values mean something. So when a small business endures, that's usually a mark of strong community roots or a a mark of making a high quality roux. Besides barbecue sauce, jarred roux is the secret sauce behind the longevity of Carrie's roux and pig stand, barbecue sauce and Bill Platt. My guest, Ross LaFleur, is the general manager. Carrie's is well known for its line of specialty sauces and seasonings, and you can find them just about any grocery store in Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, and Florida. It started life as a restaurant. Ross's grandfather bought the restaurant he worked in as a teenager, and he and his business partner found success bottling and selling the barbecue sauce they served with their plate lunches. Ross's dad, Kerry, joined the business, and the LaFleur splintered off to focus on manufacturing. And that's the business Ross now oversees. It comes with a lot of cooking, too. 21st century marketing is one thing, but the best way to sell is a sauce is the good old-fashioned taste test. It's also Ross's favorite part of the job. Ross LaFleur, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you for having me. Whether you're selling jarred roux or running a restaurant, there's a pretty good chance you'll need somewhere to put all that money or maybe get a loan. And if you're living in a small town, a community bank is a great option. Banking, like a lot of industries, is hot on consolidation, but community banks like St. Landry Bank and Trust still offer value to Main Street markets, where customers put a premium on knowing the people they do business with. At St. Landry Bank, Shelly Fotno is the person to know. She leads business development for the bank, meaning she spends a lot of time on the road building relationships and giving customers a taste of what community banking is like. St. Landry Bank has been around a long time. It was founded in the late 19th century and is still firmly rooted in St. Landry Paris with several branches in Opelousas and shops in Port Berry, Eunice, Scott, Karen Crow, and in Lafayette. Shelley had an unconventional path to banking. She got a degree in fire science and worked in the health and medical resources field out of school. She joined St. Landry Bank after connecting with her boss through a local Kiwanis club. Shelly's from Bill Platt and now lives in Pine Prairie. Shelly Fontenot, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you, thanks for having me. So Ross, the seasoning and specialty food market has actually, I think, grown quite a lot in the last decade. I mean, we've actually hosted, I feel like we've had a lot of folks in that business on the show and you're still out there selling this, spreading it, you know, sort of word by the word, taste by taste. I, I'm sort of curious, is the added competition changed it all how you go about marketing what you do yeah it has uh, nowadays uh, there's a lot more people that um, through private labeling and, and different ty- sorts of manufacturing yep. people have easier access that if they have a recipe that they want made yep. uh, they can go ahead and, and have that made we started back where um, we still manufacture everything ourselves. Yep. Uh, we do have a blender for our mixes and our seasoning yep. um, but it has changed um, with a lot more competition now. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it, does it mean you kind of have to put um, 
you know, because you're manufacturing this yourself, and like you're saying, like some of these are sort of white labeled brands, mm-hmm. where people just sort of come up, but there's one person making it. I mean, is that how you try to distinguish what you do? Like, yeah, you could try that, but they're sort of like everybody, and Carrie's Roux is very different because of this, right? I mean, well, the main part of our business is our roux, which is this old-fashioned dark roux yeah. that we cook with flour and oil, just like you would do at home, and we yeah. jar it. Um, more of the competition is with, uh, let's say, our mixes, but our mixes are. They use our dry roux for one, which yep. gives it a unique flavor, an authentic flavor. And when people taste them, we feel pretty confident that they're going to stick to buying them. And um, our dry roux in our mixes is what kind of, that's why I say I like doing the taste testing, yep. getting people to try the product. They can taste the difference between ours and other products that are on the market. Yeah, so doing it the old-fashioned way is always a, a, a you know, tried-and-true method. I mean, Shelly, a lot of big banks have gotten rid of tellers and local branches, and I think that would seem like an opportunity for a community bank, right? Like people might still be hungry for that, but I kind of wanted to start there. I mean, does the value of a face-to-face relationship in banking mean more to your sort of personal customer, your person with a checking account, or does it mean more to that commercial loan customer who's you know taking out something, a line of credit, let's say, to, to manage their business? So as we do, um, we do have mobile banking and ATMs, but there is something truly special about having that face-to-face contact. So we do still have tellers in all of our branches. You can come in and meet your loan officer, get to know us. It truly is relationship banking. Sure. I mean, do you find that, like, that's something that's more meaningful for, like, a person like me if I opened a checking account, or, or do you find that it's something that, like, your business customers like more? I, th- I think it's a little of both. Um, probably more so the business customers because they come and, and deal with us a little more often, p- possibly. You know, yep. it's easy to grab your mobile phone or your yep. computer and, and transfer money from one account to another, get a direct deposit. But when you're coming in maybe to get a home loan, you know, we still strive to help you have your local dreams come true, whether it's home ownership, starting a new business. And once you become our customer, we get to know you by name. It's, yep. it's definitely the relationship that continues things so I mean how are you finding new banking customers in that market right I mean now you know, banks like st. Landry have to compete with Chase and Capital One right and they could get anybody anywhere so I mean does it really just come down to you and your roadshow like showing up and saying like hey this is the face of me you don't even know who's behind Chase Bank, right? Right, yeah. right. Um, so we, we pride ourselves in dealing local, giving back to the local economy. Mm-hmm. So, um, so as, as those personal connections, like I mentioned, are really important. But then we also are there. We're at your events. We're sponsoring your kids' t-ball. You know, we support what our customers are supporting. You sure. know, if you're our customer and you're very passionate about this, there's a good chance if you come to us and say, hey, we would love, you know, you're our bank. We deal with you. We've been dealing with you for years. We'd love for you to join us and, you know, supporting this project. Nine t- chances out of ten, we will. Okay. So, Ross, you've talked a little bit about, you know, the, the origins of the business and sort of that, the, the, the products that you sell. And, and, you know, I'm always sort of fascinated by the jarred roux concept because it's convenient. Mm-hmm. But it's also, like, as you note, it's oil and flour, right? Yeah. So, I mean, what is the strategy behind, like, trying to separate the actual product itself from something that you know anybody makes I mean, the convenience is obvious right but how do you make a special blend of something that's two things well 
the Rue idea came about whenever my grandfather was in the Pick Sand restaurant, yeah. and he had customers that knew that he made Rue every day yeah. for different plate lunches and that sort of thing. And they, he had customers back in the 50s, 60s, 70s that were asking to buy a little bit of Rue that's already made. Yeah. Because as you started seeing more uh, husbands and wives both working and people busier lifestyle, uh, if you wanted to cook a gumbo and you had to make your own roux, that's an all-day affair. Mm -hmm. So at least if you cut that cooking process out of it, and then especially if you burn it, if you mess it up and you got to start over. So uh, there was a, just he saw that there was a market for people who, during the week a cold front comes through and they want to be able to cook a gumbo, that they would have the roux already made. And that's that transition even from the dark roux to our gumbo mix, which is now our, best, our second best-selling item right mm -hmm. behind our, uh, our um, dark roux because it just has everything in there and can cook a gumbo in 40 minutes wow uh so our recipe there's the only thing that may be a little bit different is that some people will use one cup of, of fat to one cup of, fl of flour to make their roux where ours it has a little bit less oil because if i jarred a roux that was one to one ratio it'd only be a half a jar of roux and it'd be a half a jar of oil sitting on top of it. So we were able to, in our cooking process, decrease yeah. the amount of oil necessary so that way you wouldn't just get a half a jar of roux. So, I mean, how soon into the, the enterprise did y'all expand to have these other options? I mean, I mean, it seems like kind of an old-fashioned innovation story where somebody sees a habit, right? Well, mm -hmm. you know, I'm already doing this. People are asking for it. Here's my opportunity. So that's a different thing than saying, like, well... Would people want my jambalaya mix, let's say, right? I mean, at what point did that come along and what opportunity presented itself? Most of the products that are out there is uh, we had existing products and our customers asked us if we could make one. They huh. knew that we made good products and they figured that if we would come out with it, that it would be very good. So it started with the dark roux and let's say the regular barbecue sauce. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandfather had a customer that asked about a basting sauce, which yeah. is basically oil that's flavored from the barbecue sauce. Mm -hmm. Um, he came out with that one. We had a cus My dad had a customer that asked about a light roux because they wanted to use it in a two phase. We had a family friend of ours uh, who asked if we could make a no-fat roux. Okay. So all we did was we came out with the dry roux that doesn't have oil in it. Whenever you, it looks light colored in the jar, but whenever you add it to water, it turns dark. And so it gave people at the time it's a little bit lighter on the stomach and it has no fat and no sodium. And then from there, my dad had made a bisque starter. And uh, that was a jarred product uh, that he ended up not making anymore, but always wanted to come out with a dried mix. So we're coming out with a dried mix, and one of our customers said, hey, you are a roux manufacturer, can you come out with a gumbo mix? So we came out with the gumbo mix, and from there we had customers asking us about jambalaya mix, yeah. which led to a stew mix because people wanted to make meatball stew, chicken fricasse, um, quick and easy at home. So. Yeah. That's a, And then from there, we were asked about a garlic butter basting sauce to be able to put on briskets, on steaks, on vegetables. And so everything's just kind of been um, customer demand. Sounds like you're solving a lot of customer problems. But if you're in the kitchen, they're saying like, man, it'd be great if I had this. And then they come to you. That's a, that's a nice thing to be able to do. I mean, Shelly, you know, banks kind of have a limited number of products, right? I mean, you have banking checking accounts you got savings accounts you have different types of loans i mean talk to me a little bit about that perspective from a small bank right an operation like that i mean are you looking for new things that you can bring to customers or is it really just about the basic services i guess another way of asking like has the banking product line changed right say in the last 20 years 
I guess it has evolved to be able to include the mobile banking options and stuff, but we have all the basic products that your large banks have, right. you know, so anything, something new that we are kind of working more with is money market. So mm -hmm. that's when you go to a local store and swipe your credit card, you know, so we have those capabilities now. Yeah. We also um, have your basic credit cards, um, checking, savings, Christmas clubs, loans, you know, all the things that you are familiar with as well. Yeah, I mean, so so what does that mean in terms of how you, you know, at some level you go, you, you talked about how you, you got to press a lot of flesh, right? You're out there talking about what the bank's doing, the bank shows up for the community, and so people see that relationship, but at some level folks are saying like, well, if I already have my money in this bank, why should I move it, right? Especially if things are kind of the same. So I'm sort of curious about the strategy behind that, because it would seem kind of difficult to be like, here's a thing you probably don't think about every day. And right. you're trying to say like, you should come bank with us. And my first question might be like, well, I don't mind my bank, right? So right. how do you get them over that hump? So, I mean, our basic strategy is saying, just consider community bank. Come yeah. and visit us, come and learn about our products, see how we can help you. The important thing is as big banks, the ones that people know and see all over, mm -hmm. or um, are doing a lot of the same things we're doing, it, we are making business business decisions locally we're lending money out locally it's not going to florida it's staying here in the community mm -hmm. helping people to realize their dreams mm -hmm. like i said home ownership starting a business kind of just keeping things local and giving back to the communities we live and serve in and not another state another country you know have, we're right here local have y'all found that that's been an effective message that that it's been something that when you say hey we're here we're local and people are saying oh yeah you know that does make a big difference to me I, I do think that sometimes people don't think about it because of the ease of the big banks and it's always in your face on the radio you know but when you go to an event and you see your local bank cooking in a cook-off or yep. you know I, I think that speaks volumes to the community once they realize that your money stays here and it I'm, feeds into the local economy I know for us as a uh, as a small business and especially in Cajun manufacturing which isn't known nationally mm -hmm. it's uh, really helpful to know your loan officers you know each individual person you can get their cell phone number and call them up directly because if you have a question or anything uh, that's a big benefit of using the local people yeah. is in small business it said show up at the bank and they'll pull you to the back let's have a conversation it's not as it, they're just part of the community, yeah. and they know what you're doing because you're in the, their community. Uh, they know your business. They know your, like for us, they know our products and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So it, it's been a big benefit for us with uh, local banks. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking to Ross LaFleur, General Manager of Carrie's Rue, and Shelly Fontenot of St. Landry Bank. We'll be right back after this short break. Support for Out to Lunch at Katiana comes from Adita Corporate Staffing. Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, Infinite Health Integrative Medicine Center, Michelle Weighing and Measurement, Calibration Services and Measurement Equipment since 1947, New Orleans Ice Cream, available in select grocery stores, and Rev Realtors. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking to Ross LaFleur, General Manager of Carrie's Rue, and Shelly Fontenot of St. Landry Bank. You know, it's interesting. You're kind of touching on, like, there's an image I think we have in popular culture, right, of what banking used to be like, where it was sort of like, 
you know, somebody would invest in you. They'd, you'd sit and have a conversation with that loan officer, and maybe the pro forma didn't quite work out, but they thought, you know, this, I like the cut of this kid's jib. We're going to give him some <laughs> money, right? That's I right. mean, there, there seems to be something that, that you can still access there. I mean, is that kind of the idea? I mean, it, it's not just, hey, yeah, we have to kind of mine the dollars and cents, but at the end of the day, we're here for you. Like, is that sort of the proposition? Oh, absolutely. You know, you, well, you become a value customer of ours. You pay all your, your bills on time. You, um, you don't give us any problems. We see the work you're doing in the community, and we want to support our customers. Yeah, I mean, Ross is kind of interesting. I think a parallel he'll write is, I mean, I grew up in a house that had jarred roofs. My mom would make roux too, but I think, I think we were a Savoie's house, right? But there's a sense that people often have about like where you are in Louisiana defines like the specific manufactured Cajun goods you might get. It's like when you guys are thinking about selling, I mean, are, are, is part of your strategy like I got to be able to convince somebody who's grown up using you know, my competitor's product to, to switch products or is it trying to find new customers? I mean, how do you think about that in that space? It's, it's a, a loyalty-driven market is my thinking. It's a combination of both. Yeah. Um, so with our dark roux, a big thing that our customers like is that they see on our label that it's soybean oil, which yeah. vegetable oil, if you buy vegetable oil at the store and you look at the ingredient list, it's soybean oil. And we use an all-purpose flour. Yeah. So if you look at the bag of uh, back of a bag of flour, all-purpose flour, it'll be the same ingredient listings. Um, maybe a hair different variation, but we don't do anything um, aside from making a basic roux. And a big thing in Cajun cooking, why a lot of customers like our product, is the color that we cook it to. Because the color means that it's roasted to a certain temperature and it has a certain flavor to it. So that's why a lot of customers on the roux side. But we do have, it's, it's tough for... A co someone who's been using a competitor's roof for 40 years to go ahead and switch them over. But what we have seen is younger generations moving towards mixes. Yeah. And that's where our mixes, I do believe, are the best mixes on the market because of we, our dry roux is in each one of our mixes. Instead of adding other ingredients to try to thicken it or to add color to it, our dry roux gives that color, gives that flavor to it. And uh, once people taste it, it's kind of set apart from other mixes on the market. Do y'all do like the old Coca-Cola blind taste test where you have like a cup and you don't know what it is and you say, well, this is our roux, this is your roux, and you can't tell the difference and somebody says, well, you know, what was it? And you look it up and that was Carrie's roux. I mean, talk to me about the taste, the <laughs> well, taste testing process we here. We have done some of that uh, to try it out, but a lot of it is we're, we'll go to a store and we'll have people who are using a competitor's jambalaya mix for example yeah and in mine i use regular long grain rice i don't use parboil rice yeah. and uh where a lot of mixes kind of start having the same flavor because it starts to get in the same ingredients ours has some separation so we're pulling some customers you know who are who have been using mixes but also a lot of people let's say um, in their 30s who have young kids don't have much time to cook but they're hungry for home style cooking yeah they can cook that jambalaya mix with uh, a pound of sausage in a rice cooker, leave it cooking, and whenever the rice cook goes off, it's done. So um, there's multiple types of customers that we're able to go after. Yeah. I mean, Shelly, are you, I would assume just, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, just I don't know banking that well. I mean, if you've got branches kind of spread around a region that, you know, those are sort of satellites to your community, right? Like, so it might be you have a branch in Lafayette because... You might have somebody who grew up in Opelousas, maybe works in Lafayette or has moved to Lafayette and has not wanted to switch banks. But talk to me a little bit about that geographic distribution. I mean, is the idea there that you're just trying to make that convenient 
for customers as they distribute, or is it we're going to break into the Lafayette market by having a toehold there? Like, what, what what's the thought process there? Well, for for us, we were in St. Landry Parish. That was the heart of it, and we actually came into the Lafayette region. I believe it was 2005 to help out a failed bank. Wow. So the bank failed, we stepped in, brought our customers in, helped them to continue their accounts and wow. and continue to serve them since. Wow, I mean, I'd love to hear more about that. I mean, so like, does that happen often in bank growth where another bank sort of says like, well, here's a bank that's going belly up and this is an opportunity for us to help? Is that common? It is pretty common, I think. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, when you're thinking about, you know, because you're traveling around, you're going, I mean, I looked at, you know, you're a member of a lot of Kiwanis clubs, it looks like, I mean, those kinds of things. And, and, and of course, it's a valuable thing just to be a member of the community. But are you guys seeing your customer growth still mostly in your hub, like in St. Landry Parish, or are you finding that you're reaching people in some of these other areas? We are. We are reaching others. Our other branches are growing as well, and mm-hmm. um, and I'm just I'm fairly new in this role. I'm, sure. I just made my year. Congratulations! So I, <laughs> thank yeah. you. You're, thank you. Yeah. So I'm just breaking into the Lafayette market and getting involved with one Acadiana was a huge step with mm-hmm. that, and they have been great. We've gained new customers since. Um, Aside from banking, I've partnered with them for other things. So it's it's been really good. Is there a specific sector that you guys kind of specialize in? I know it's common for banks maybe to have, especially around their commercial loan portfolios, right? You know, we, we really do a lot of home mortgage lending, right? Or we mostly do small business loans. I mean, what is St. Landry's sort of commercial side known for? So we do um, a lot of businesses. I think we kind of stay away from hotels, but okay. almost any other kind of business, we're, we're open to hear and, and make a decision from there. Yeah. Okay. So, Ross, I mean, you guys have diversified here, right? And I mean, what have you found has been, has it been that the Jarred Rue has remained the top seller or, or have you found another product that's really uh, caught up there? Well, our dark roux still is the number one seller. A lot of people are still using the jarred dark roux, um, which we package in many different sizes. So we also will put 32 pounds of roux in a, a bucket and sell it to, to restaurants. Yeah. So that's another reason why uh, it's our biggest item. People are still demanding making a gumbo as close from scratch as they possibly can. But uh, our fastest growing item, which has been since we came out with it has been our gumbo mix and i think besides the local market the market that we're in it's also allowing people who travel to our area who eat gumbo and they want to be able to cook at home um, something that tastes similar to what they had here in acadiana is that they can cook it without having cooked a gumbo before it's uh it's easy if you can boil water you can cook it a seafood gumbo or chicken and sausage gumbo so that the the, the boxed mixes are definitely catching up to the jarred products so I feel like I have to ask, how do you make roux at that scale? I mean, like, I know that the people can bake it, right? But I, like, is it, do you have like 20 mamers back there just like <laughs> slow and steamy? Well, what happens? How do you do it? So we, uh, we have some custom made iron kettles that are motorized uh, with paddles inside. They're and paddles inside? Yes. So these are motorized. Okay, that's that's amazing. Because so it is if, actually like 20 miles, which is robotic ones. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. Um, you know, roux can't, roux can burn really easy, yeah. especially if it, it has to constantly be stirred. Yeah. So that's what, there's paddles on the side to make sure that it's it's stirring constantly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a batch of roux, we're using, um, you know, 300 pounds of flour per batch. And uh, in each pot, we ha- currently have four pots. 
um, that we're cooking in, we're looking at adding another one, uh, and we'll make, you know, multiple batches in a day. Yeah. You know, 12 Let me tell you the best batches. thing about driving through Ville Platte on the way to work in the mornings, you can smell the roux cooking. Yeah. <laughs> it is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I have friends that live in different areas of town, and depending on the wind direction, I'll get text messages from them. Y'all cooking today? I say, well, we cook every day. <laughs> I mean, Shelly, did, did you have to, I mean, I, I know Ross does some taste tests. I mean, you, you show up to a lot of events. Have you, like, had to learn how to cook the St. Landry Bank gumbo or something like that? I mean, what, what's the hospitality that you bring to the table when you go to try to court people over to, to talk to you about what you do? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, we, we participate in cook-offs, but I'll be honest. I do cook at home, and I use Carrie's Roux at home. <laughs> well, but you. as far as trusting my skills to cook for the group, yeah. I do not. I have not. Yeah. <laughs> well, just give it time. Give it time. You can learn. I mean, I got to say, like, I've never really – people will sort of knock the idea. Like, well, you can, you got to make your, your own roux, right? But, I mean, am I just like, man – it's flour and water and how long you cook it at the end of the day. It never made sense to me that people would be so ornery about, like, I got to make my own roux. Yeah, you know, it's it's a tradition, and people feel like that that's the starter of yeah. it yeah. and um, that people need to. I, I mean, I think that people just for culinary expertise need yep. to know how to make a roux. Sure. Uh, yeah. It's always been a joke. Um, whenever I was younger, uh, we went over to a, a friend of ours' place and um, – they forgot to bring roux in. I didn't have any on me. Uh-oh. So they said, uh, can you make a roux? I said, well, do you have a pot big enough to make 300 pounds? You, know? <laughs> you don't know how to scale your recipe, right? <laughs> so I made it a point after that. Well, I did make one there, and yeah. we did cook a, a, a stew with that roux. But uh, I also, after that, you know, have cooked it multiple times on a stovetop. Yeah. I mean, Shelly, you said you're kind of new to the banking business. I, I, you know, I'm curious. I mean, what's, what about getting into this has surprised you? I mean, just learning about how the banking industry works. I mean, I, I imagine this is something that might be, you know, illuminating for you, right? I mean, like you're operating in a business that most of us sort of deal with in this very passive sort of way. I mean, what surprised you about working in the industry? I love the way we give back to the community in the community education part. So we do, um, I attend a lot of elderly seminars where I can speak on um, scams that people need, you know, to educate on scams that are out there. We invited high school seniors in, um, had a representative from each department to come in and talk about their roles, kind of to open their eyes to a a career in banking. Mm -hmm. And then also had the tour of the bank. So they were uh, really interested in that, especially when it came to seeing the vault, you know, that was pretty cool for them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I mean, well, look, um, you know, at the end of the day, right, we're all just sort of building connections and relationships with each other. And I think that's true, whatever business you're in. I know it's been true for me as a reporter, and it's really cool to see how this works out for folks in other industries. So thanks for spending some time with me and Out to Lunch Acadiana. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. you. My guests on Out to Lunch Acadiana today have been Shelly Fontenot of St. Landry Bank and Trust and Ross LaFleur of Carrie's Rue and Pigstand Barbecue Sauce. We edited this conversation to fit into our time slot here on KRBS. You can hear our unedited conversation. Find out more about Ross and Shelly by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast. You can find and subscribe on your podcast app and on our website, itsacadiana.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our Out to Lunch Acadiana social media. These photos were taken by Dylan Babineau. 
Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRBS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Chad Terrio. Our researcher is Leah Erdialis. Today's show was engineered also by Dylan Babineau. I'm Christian Mater, editor of The Current, Lafayette's nonprofit newsroom. To get the scoop on Lafayette, head over to thecurrentla.com, sign up for our free newsletters. We'll see you next time for more business and conversation. And Out to Lunch Acadiana, see you later. Out to Lunch Acadiana was recorded live over lunch at Tsunami Sushi on Jefferson Street in downtown Lafayette. Tsunami is open Tuesday through Saturday for lunch and dinner, serving sushi, sashimi, salads, and authentic Japanese grilled dishes. Tsunami welcomes casual dining or reservations. More information at servingsushi.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.